BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A little-known loophole of the Clean Air Act is hiding the extent of pollution from wildfires. That's according to a new California newsroom investigation that finds the exceptional events rule is letting local regulators strike from the record pollution from wildfire smoke, making the air we breathe appear cleaner than it really is, and letting polluting industries avoid tighter regulations. This hour, we take a closer look at how this may be impacting our health and how we can better account for the harms of wildfire smoke. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Since 1970, the Federal Clean Air Act has set air pollution limits, held polluters to account, But it's facing a 21st century challenge with climate change. A little-known provision of the act allows local governments to strike data from pollution caused by so-called uncontrollable events, including wildfires. And a new investigation by the California newsroom, Muckrock and The Guardian, finds some local regulators are exploiting this loophole, sometimes with the help of industry. This means Californians are breathing air that's dirtier overall than labeled, and polluting companies are getting a pass on tighter regulations. We take a closer look at those findings this hour with Molly Peterson, editor at the California Newsroom and co-author of Smokescreened, the Clean Air Act's Dirty Secret. Molly, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So talk about the Clean Air Act. It was landmark legislation setting air pollution standards. Remind us what it was designed to do, why we needed it. Well, the Clean Air Act like a lot of our great environmental laws, and and arguably, uh, certainly according to our sources, the greatest environmental law came into a world where we hadn't regulated uh, the consequences of our urban pollution and, and our burning of fossil fuels. So it came into a world where what we were focused on was tailpipes and smokestacks, and not so much the possibility of pollution that's created in a semi-natural and possibly uncontrollable way. And that's what wildfires are. So when the Clean Air Act came into being, its focus really was on tightening down criteria pollutants um, that came from oil refineries and coal plants and um, cars and trucks, because those were the problems that we were living with. And certainly in California, we had had a lot of attention in the, on that, both in the Bay Area and in Southern California. So how is it 
in force today. It, it relies on local air districts and states to ensure that air quality standards are met. So what happens when an air district like can't show that it's meeting these federal air quality standards? Yeah, there are federal monitors um, that basically measure the level of these pollutants all over the country. And there are local regulators who are often, you know, just hardworking, small offices. Um, one of the one of the offices that I think we're going to be talking about is in Nevada County. And we're talking about a four person operation that is trying to make sure that that this region is in compliance with all these key pollutants that come from all kinds of sources, from uh, lead uh, to sulfur dioxides to, uh, and this is relevant in the case of wildfire, particulate matter uh, and ozone, because uh, ozone precursors, of course, come from wildfire smoke. And so it's really in the interest of these local entities to show that they're meeting the air pollution standards, because what does that provide them from the federal government, essentially? Right. There's this word that that is very important in the regulatory world, attainment. And if you're in attainment, basically, it means that uh, sources, local sources of pollution may be able to operate with fewer controls on them. The more um, problems you have meeting what the federal government has de- deemed to be safe for these pollutants, uh, the more controls that have to be implemented on all these local sources of pollution. So uh, in Northern California, that's uh, things like a Valero refinery, but it's also smaller uh, entities like print shops and, um, you know, powder coating for industrial furniture and for cars and motorcycles. So it's, there's all kinds of ways that we contribute to air pollution, and all of them are scrutinized by these regulators. And also, if they do meet the, or if they do attain the standards, they will get federal funding for things like transportation and other projects, important projects, right? Well, they certainly won't lose it um, if they are able to obtain it as it's distributed through congressional funding mechanisms. So, so it's really if you the tool one of the tools that the Clean Air Act um, kind of gives is that uh, the federal government can withhold uh, funding and can require states to do tighter implementation of air quality regulations. And when uh, we spoke to the California Air Resources Board about this loophole in the clean uh, in the Clean Air Act, they mentioned that in the late 90s, there was a circumstance where that was very much on the table, where federal regulators were saying to California, uh, look, you're so out far out of whack on on meeting these uh, criteria pollutant standards that we might want to limit how often people can drive. Mm. So you mentioned this loophole, basically, because the penalties are high, if you don't meet if you don't meet federal air standards, there is a way where you can essentially say that certain uncontrollable events that cause pollution can be stricken, uh, essentially from the record. Can you talk about this loophole known as the exceptional events rule? Well, from the beginning of the Clean Air Act, we kind of were we we've been in an emerging science situation. We um, science was coming to grips with understanding that pollution can travel long distances. Uh, at the same time. The focus of the Clean Air Act really were um, fossil fuel burning um, and industrial and urban sources of pollution. So when it came up that, say, a volcano or a dust storm or a wildfire um, potentially created pollution 
it didn't seem like uh, what the EPA wanted local regulators to focus on in the 80s and 90s. And so we have seen, um, and we mentioned in our reporting, the fact that there were these kind of earlier analyses and memos saying, let's focus on uh the pollution that you can control. If it's uncontrollable, if it's periodic, if it happens once in a while, uh, we can discuss it. But the, I mean, again, this is kind of like the the growing problem that we're seeing in California that, um, and across the Western United States, that there's a massive source of pollution uh, that is wildfires. And it is changing, really upending uh, the Clean Air Act's ability to tell people that their air quality is healthy. And so the circumstances changed from the time that, say, in the 80s, in the 90s, when uh, Mary Nichols, who later went on to head the California Air Resources Board, she was working at the EPA at the time. She wrote a memo saying, let's keep the focus on, you know, if if there's particulate pollution from wildfires, you can communicate with us about that. This is a memo to local regulators. And it's not going to be something that we hold against you as we look at whether or not you're keeping the air quality in attainment. Yeah. Then, you know, that, that circumstances change in the early 2000s. Yeah. So even if the EPA was saying that it wouldn't necessarily focus on these types of so-called uncontrollable events, it sounds like there was a Republican senator who really wanted to make sure that was official. <laughs> Can you yeah. tell us about his role yeah. in the exceptional events rule? Yeah, so in um, in 1998, uh, city in Oklahoma had failed to meet air quality standards, and uh, their contention was that it was because of uh, wildfires on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, and they made this case to the EPA, and the EPA said, "No way, you're still responsible for your air pollution." Well, that did not meet with the happiness. Um, you know, that didn't make uh, Jim Inhofe, who was a Republican senator um, from Oklahoma until very recently, happy. And he began to hold congressional hearings saying, hey, we want to make sure that there's more local control and that local communities can decide that they're not responsible for these uncontrollable and natural events. These are words that come up over time. Uh, And they applied to wildfires from Canada, from Mexico, from the Western United States, to volcanoes, to dust storms. And then by the time it became law, you know, this concept of exceptional events also applied to uh, fireworks and unusual traffic circumstances. And so the idea was, okay, these are one-offs. These are things that, that we aren't going to be able to control. So let's not include them in our pollution budgeting and our management of of what air quality is. The trouble is, is that wildfires are changing. Yes, they're changing. And there's a lot of, as you noted, pollutants in there that are actually the types of pollutants that the EPA is concerned about, that the Clean Air Act is concerned about, right? It's hard to necessarily describe these events as both unusual and also as natural. That's right. I mean, certainly when I was reporting uh, for KQED Science and in my work with the California newsroom since then, we've been focusing quite a bit on wildfires and what it means to live with wildfires and what it means to live with wildfire smoke. And in doing that, we've looked at, and this is, you know, all these reporters in California, um, not just this project, but we've looked at uh, how wildfires are characterized as particulate pollution. We know from, say, urban 
urban pollution from people who live near freeways and trucks and cars, that breathing in this pollution uh, isn't good for people, for their hearts and lungs, that um, there are developmental consequences uh, for children and for fetuses. Um, But characterizing what's in the particulate matter of wildfires is really hard. And as we've been reporting on this for the last several years, we would talk to sources at Stanford, at UC Davis and other places, and they would say, yeah, everything I told you last year is true. And then also now we found out these other things that make this a real public health concern, which is why we focus the reporting around these questions. Yeah. But in the meantime, Inhofe's crusade to get an exceptional events rule has succeeded. And can you just tell us what specifically that allows regulators to do? local regulators to do? So local regulators can essentially demonstrate to the EPA that an event was uncontrollable or natural. Um, and they can demonstrate that they notified the public about it and took some effort to mitigate its impacts, if not the event itself. Uh, and then they can essentially get this pollution scrubbed from regulatory consideration. And the data um, on the official federal monitors, when there's a lot of wildfire smoke uh, in Nevada County or Sacramento County or Ventura or any of the other places it's happened in California, it's still there. But regulators don't have to consider it when they're deciding whether or not an area is in attainment. And uh, that that makes a huge, huge difference. They don't have to consider it when they're deciding that an area is an attainment and then if any additional effort needs to be made to control that pollution, essentially. Yeah, that's right. I, so when when they talk about controlling pollution, obviously, when when we talk to the EPA about this, the EPA is not in charge of land management. The EPA is not in charge of uh, land management either in California or, for that matter, in Canada. Um, sometimes wildfires will create smoke uh, and blow pollution from one state into another. And we certainly saw a lot of states blaming California for wildfire smoke in the last several years. Um, but what what is interesting about this rule is that nothing else works like this in the Clean Air Act to remove something from the regulatory record. The only other things uh, that permit removing the pollution that's recorded from the regulatory record is if there's a technological problem or something like that. This mm. is a really specific and stark rule. The exceptional events rule. More about it after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. There's a loophole in the Federal Clean Air Act that's hiding the extent of pollution from wildfires, the exceptional events rule. And an investigation by the California Newsroom, Muckrock, and The Guardian 
finds local governments are using this loophole a lot more to meet federal air quality standards these days. Listeners, what do you want to know about how this is happening, why this is happening, or its impact on you? You can ask your questions and share your comments by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Have you felt the effects of wildfire smoke? Do you think it should not be considered in the overall standards that states and local entities have to meet to be able to be in compliance or to achieve attainment under the Clean Air Act? Do you think your local regulators are doing enough to deal with wildfire smoke? Have you heard of the exceptional events rule? What are your questions about it? Molly Peterson is with us, editor at the California Newsroom and co-author with Emily Zenter, a data journalist at the California Newsroom of the piece Smokescreen, the Clear the Clean Air Act's Dirty Secret. Emily Zenter uh, focused on Nevada County and joins us now. Emily, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much. So you're speaking to us from Grass Valley, is that right? I am. And so talk to us a little bit about the region and the impact that wildfire smoke has had. This is an interesting region because we're in the Sierra Nevada. So we are in a very wildfire prone area. There have been a lot of areas really near here, Colfax, Forest Hill, that have been hit with pretty devastating wildfires in recent years. And so we're kind of just in the center of all of these massive fires that are burning. Yeah. And you just also, had the mosquito fire, right? Last year, I think. We just had the mosquito fire, which brought so much smoke into this region. Um, and I actually learned some interesting science about smoke from the local air regulator here, which is that it will kind of move through major corridors. So we've got some big highways here. We've got Interstate 80. We've got 49 that can kind of serve as a corridor for smoke and emissions. And she also explained that smoke really is attracted to water. And so we have the Yuba River here, which is a pretty large river that moves through this area. And that actually also helps bring smoke in as well. So in addition to being in this fire-prone area where we've been hit by fires like the Mosquito Fire very close to us, the topography of the area also kind of brings the smoke in in an interesting way. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, the air regulator described it as like a pancake <laughs> that sort of settles flat across the valley. It does. And it definitely feels like a pancake. Like it has not, at least for me living up here, felt gradual. It feels like you always wake up one day and there's just this layer of smoke that settled over everything. So I think the pancake terminology is very apt. Yeah. You also talked with a doctor um, about the kinds of impacts of wildfire smoke that we're learning. And I actually wanted to play um, a clip that you shared with us of that local health expert. This is Dr. Is it Elenia or Alinia? Alinia Stevens. Alinia Stevens, medical director at uh, Chapa the Indian Health in Grass Valley. In the last 20 years, we're starting to learn more that as wildfire smoke goes into the air, it gets oxidized and it becomes very reactive. And when we breathe that in, it increases the inflammation in our tissues. And so 
it can affect way more conditions than we thought. It increases things like autism or developmental delay as it can cross the placenta. It can increase cognitive decline and can affect Alzheimer's. It affects anything that has tissue in a cell by having cellular damage at a molecular level. Mm. So a lot of pretty frightening potential health impacts. But Emily, what did uh, Alinea tell you? What did Alinea Stevens tell you about her concerns around air regulators sort of trying to get wildfire smoke events deemed as exceptional events? Well, like Dr. Stevens said, um, aside from sort of, I guess, the obvious effects of smoke on your lungs and your heart that we've known about for a long time, it goes so deep. And so this is something that she has on her mind and is seeing and is worrying about. And the concern that she shared with me is that if we're removing this smoke pollution from the data, her question is, is that encouraging us to find a solution? Um, And it comes down to this idea that wildfires can be lessened and prevented. And so her main concern is that if we are removing that data from the mix, are we then not pushing ourselves to find solutions because we're sort of throwing our hands up and removing it from the data? And in an area like ours, wildfire is just, she was saying it's just something that we can't take out of the equation because we'll miss so much because it's such a big part of the landscape of the air we breathe here. And so what did local air regulators have to say about that? Yeah, I think the thing that is difficult here and that I talked about a lot with local air regulators is that we're just facing unprecedented circumstances at this point when it comes to wildfires. Um, And local air regulators, especially in an area like this, they don't have very many resources and filing these exceptional events is a pretty time intensive process. There's a lot of documentation that has to happen. So this is a big burden on local air districts too in areas like this that don't have a ton of resources. And I think it's a difficult spot because again, we're just facing these circumstances that it feels silly to call them unprecedented because it feels like each year it gets more and more unprecedented. Um, But we're just facing a situation that is so dire when it comes to wildfires and wildfire smoke. And so they're having to try to play catch up with this. Mm. You're saying that it takes a lot of resources to be able to request that, you know, the, the pollution data from a wildfire be scrubbed from the record. But yet it sounds like these local regulators are feeling like it's worth it to do anyway? And and why do they feel that way? Yeah, I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, this is the tool that they've been handed. And when the pollution reaches a certain level, it goes over the limit that the EPA has set. And so if they don't file an exceptional event in that situation, they end up having to tighten rules on local emissions and take actions to change that. So 
it comes down to if, you know, the smoke is bringing the pollution over a certain level, if they don't file these things, then they have to tighten those rules. And these kind of large demonstrations that they have to file with exceptional events are the tools they've been given to deal with the wildfire situation that we're all living with. Hmm. Well, Emily, thanks so much for giving us this insight into the specific way that wildfire is both affecting Nevada County and also how regular regulators are trying to deal with it. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks so much. Emily Zentner is data journalist with the California Newsroom and co-author of Smokescreened, the Clean Air Act's Dirty Secret. This is a collaboration with Muckrock and The Guardian. Molly Peterson is also co-author of Smokescreen, the Clean Air Act's Dirty Secret, and also editor at the California Newsroom. And Molly, so I want to ask you, is Nevada County unique in what it does? Or is this pretty widespread across a lot of parts of California? I was so glad that uh, Emily was able to talk about that reporting that she did there because we think that Nevada County is kind of this sign of what could come in other places. Uh, the application of this rule is very narrow, and the EPA, uh, as well as local regulators, will say, well, this is within the law. This is our responsibility. But I think the the kind of tension you see there is this question the you know this is our this is our most powerful environmental law aimed at keeping our air healthy to breathe it is not taking into consideration wildfire smoke as a potential source of pollution and uh and as a result we're seeing this kind of potential risk for children for people who live in these areas it's not just nevada county and and it seems like uh, wildfire smoke is presenting a really critical challenge to keeping the skies clear, not just in California, but around the country. And this is Ron Discord writes, and there are huge environmental justice considerations to this discussion. It's absolutely true. Uh, there, I mean, fundamentally, too, we have kind of a network of air pollution monitors that exist. And this is a broader part of the broader conversation beyond this rule. But these air pollution monitors exist in urban areas. They don't always accurately reflect where the risks are and where people are uh, from this kind of these sources of pollution. Again, our entire infrastructure, our way of thinking about air pollution comes from focusing on fossil fuel burning on urban and industrial sources. Wildfires and the risks from wildfires are also influenced by uh, climate change, and climate change itself was influenced by fossil fuel burning. But wildfires were, are something that in the past we thought of as these uncontrollable and natural events. Well, it's been a while since that's been true in California, because we now know that a century of fire suppression, of the way we've managed land, the way we've built in closer to the forest has changed the equation. And yeah. so the question is whether and how to adapt to the new reality we live in. Well, one way it feels like is that you close the loophole, account for wildfire smoke, make us all work harder to reduce pollution in areas, businesses, companies we can control. Um, why is this so hard? Because it sounds like even when you spoke with the state's air resources board, which is all about trying to make sure that the air is clean for Californians across the state to breathe, they were basically like, ah, we don't want to do this. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, it's true. I spoke to Michael Benjamin, who is a top regulator at the California Air Resources Board. And California, more than other states, recognizes that climate change and air quality and health are these connected subjects. But California is going to continue to use this rule because the consequences, uh, they, they say the consequences are so great for not complying with the existing regulatory structure. Um, to think about this differently would require us to think at a national level differently about uh, how what the risks are from wildfire smoke. And the other thing is, and this is a huge issue in, in the Western United States, we've acknowledged that planned burns, that prescribed fires are a way to sort of mitigate the consequences of out-of-control wildfires, that something that burns into the wildland-urban interface that we don't plan for that might burn plastics and buildings and uh, constructed materials and create more pollution that's um, uh, chemical and dangerous uh, it's not something we want to have if we are able to manage our lands differently using and returning fire to the landscape. That's a policy directive that the state of California and other places are trying to lean more into. But the Clean Air Act doesn't think about fire that way. It doesn't think about uh, a source of pollution as something you might want to have a little bit of. And so we might want to live with a little bit of smoke so that we don't live with a lot of catastrophic smoke. But the hmm. Clean Air Act doesn't think about smoke that way. Well, Molly, you provided us with some pretty powerful cuts from Michael Benjamin, Chief of the Air Quality Planning and Science Division at the California Air Resources Board, who was basically telling you what you summarized a bit, that California will continue to use the exceptional events provision to show that they are attaining uh you know, the standards that the Clean Air Act is setting, even if it means that they're basically working to ignore the pollution that's caused by wildfires. And I know that makes it seem like probably to people like we're taking advantage of a loophole to try to show attainment, but that's the hard part, right? Sometimes people don't understand what attainment means and under the Clean Air Act, like it's not necessarily that you're breathing clean air. It's that you're meeting these requirements that are defined by the federal government under the Clean Air Act structure. Now, if there weren't such significant repercussions for not attaining, like the loss, potential loss of federal highway funds and so on, then there wouldn't be that pressure on air districts and CARB to really take full advantage of exceptional events to be able to demonstrate attainment. And Molly, if I could, I'd love to actually just play one more clip from mm -hmm. Benjamin where he talks about the fact that California is also trying to maintain local control. Let's hear that. What we're trying to do here is do everything we can to be able to retain local control of our strategies because we understand the issues better than folks in D.C. And also, we don't want to lose those federal highway funds. And so it may, you know, look like we're playing a game here and not truly trying to protect public health. But I guess I would say we're threading the needle. We're trying to thread the needle in terms of really taking concrete actions to reduce air pollution from all sources, including wildfires. We're really trying everything we can. So Molly, I, first, I would love to get your reaction to, to Benjamin saying this to you, essentially, um, but also his point about local control. 
I mean, it is absolutely true that California, when we spoke to experts around the country, that experts based in uh, different parts of the country have different, you know, foci for how they're thinking about um, all these things. So in the eastern United States, wildfire smoke is something that they weren't thinking about as returning to the landscape. Sure, in 2016, they had a Fort McMurray fire in Canada that affected a bunch of eastern states. But the scope and the scale, um, the you know, the tempo of, of fire in Canada this year was such that it affected, you know, pretty much anything in the west, in the eastern two-thirds of the country. We're talking about Minnesota, North Dakota, uh, Kentucky, the Carolinas, uh, every Everybody on the East Coast. And so it's a really different way of thinking about things. California has been suffering. Uh, people who live in California who breathe this wildfire smoke have been suffering under a, a scale and a tempo of smoke that has already been increasing, that California has had to acknowledge. And so there's more of a enmeshed response at the local, at the county, at the regional level, and at the state level to think about climate change and health, and wildfires, and air quality as as kind of a unified field of concern. Well, David writes, we need to remember that the people most impacted by wildfire smoke are the young people working as federal wildland firefighters. They're in the middle of more fires than anyone. Many of them now earn less than California minimum wage, even though they are risking their lives to protect everyone. So my, one of the things I did want to ask you is, Is there a concern that uh, if you try to do away with wildfires as exceptional events, that we would be less likely to use prescribed burns as a strategy to manage wildfire because that would put particulates in the air? Very quickly, I just want to say something about the wildland fire- firefighters, if I may. Um, oh, sure. Just very quickly, there the example of the wildland firefighters shows why it's so hard to understand and study the health consequences of 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 wildfire smoke because we we are essentially waiting for people to be exposed to it, and then we have to characterize the smoke as they breathe it, and so being a wildland firefighter, some of the the most important um, health and epidemiological studies have come from studying wildfire wildfire wildland firefighters, and so yeah. they're an absolute. Uh, but what's what we're seeing beyond this, this is a workplace problem as well as a health problem, right? Um, what we're seeing beyond this is all the ways that people uh, working in, say, if you're getting in and out of an Amazon truck in the Bay Area when the smoke is stuck in the inversion layer, that's a person who's breathing it. Kids on playgrounds are breathing it, too. Yeah. And so that's the the kind of scope of what we're talking about. Yeah. And We're headed into a break, so hold your thought about prescribed burns. We're talking with Molly Peterson about wildfire smoke and the fact that it's not being accounted for under a Clean Air Act loophole. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about a new investigation from the California newsroom, Muckrock and The Guardian, into an obscure rule in the Clean Air Act that lets local air regulators strike so-called natural and exceptional events like wildfires from their pollution data. But should wildfires be considered natural and exceptional? And at what cost? We're learning about that with Molly Peterson of the California newsroom, who has co-authored an investigation called Smokescreen, the Clean Air Act's dirty secret. Molly has also been focusing on climate change for KQED News. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions about this loophole, its impact, and uh, also sharing your experiences and concerns about the effects of wildfire smoke. The email address is forum at kqed.org. You can reach us on our social channels at KQED Forum on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. You can call us 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. So yeah, Molly, before the break, I was just wondering how prescribed burns fit into this picture, because if that's a fire management tool, it sounds like it's something that uh, the EPA should take into consideration. I. And it's a great question. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's so important to so many people, um, particularly in California, where we have, um, you know, local fire, like prescribed fire focused collectives, where we have collaboratives at the regional level where people are trying to think about how to make their communities safer by returning fire to the landscape in a healthier way. Um, the real problem is that the the kind of inherent logic of the Clean Air Act is doesn't mesh well with the logic of asking for permission to have a prescribed fire in California. So you have the very narrow circumstances where prescribed fires are considered safe when there's the right amount of soil moisture, when there's the right atmospheric conditions, when there's the right absence of winds. Um, and so you've got all of those conditions. You you know you go to your regional authorities and you say, I would like to have a prescribed fire. You do that before the fire. Um, However, if you don't know whether the pollution is going to be forgiven in advance, that may be an obstacle to allowing that fire to continue. And that's the concern with how smoke pollution is treated under the exceptional events rule. The exceptional events rule allows regulators to go after the fact, after an event, and say, we would like to forgive, essentially, this pollution from the regulatory record. And so it's the opposite of how the logic works for prescribed fires. Um, It's just two really different ways of thinking about how to grant legal authority to do something. And so Every time uh, this rule has been modified, uh, constantly throughout its existence, uh, people who are interested in having prescribed fires in the Western United States have said, hey, this is a real problem. It's a huge burden to spend several months and 200 pages to justify this after the fact and not know whether or not the prescribed fires can happen. And they've gone to the EPA and asked them to sort of make sure it's as clear as possible that this authority is granted and it hasn't worked so far. Well, we've got a call from Michael in Los Gatos. Michael, join us. Thank you. My question is, you know, companies all the time report their financial results, and they'll say, 
here's results according to generally accepted accounting terms, and then here's a different look at the same numbers. You know, why can't the uh, regulatory agencies present, you know, here's the number. I mean, the numbers are the numbers, right? But then here are they presented in under the Clean Air Act with the various exemptions. And then here they are presented, you know, without that taken into concern so that, you know, you as an individual say, has, uh, you know, don't want to go outside because you have a compromised immune system. You know, uh, the fact that there's a loophole doesn't matter to you. You, know, you just need to know, is, is it safe? Or should I do this activity, you know, painting a house that's going to generate excess issues? Well, I shouldn't do it this week because there's smoke in the air, right? You know, we, so that's my question. Mm. It's, Thanks, Michael. And it's a really good question. It's uh, the EPA would tell you and would tell all of us that that fundamentally they keep the numbers right, the raw numbers of what was recorded in records that are used potentially for epidemiological or health studies um, on a day to day basis. The Air Now map gives correct information. What happens then is that over the course of you know several years, when you determine whether or not a region is in attainment. Uh, Essentially, they're allowed to knock out um, certain days and certain occasions of this pollution, 16 days in Nevada County uh, during the course of the period we looked at. And um, what that enables them to do is then say that they're in attainment. And attainment used to be a term that regulators used to mean that the air was healthy, that the air was safe. But I think what you're hearing from Michael Benjamin and from other regulators is that that's going to change a little bit if they use this rule more often um, to stay in attainment because the consequences of not being in attainment are huge financially for local industry, for the possibility of the loss of transportation dollars. Attainment isn't exactly going to mean healthy and safe anymore. Healthy and safe is going to be something that people understand on a day-to-day basis from experiencing the alerts, from breathing the smoke. The pollution, you know, because we do have the federal official air quality monitors, we also have an increasing number of unofficial monitors like purple airs in urban areas. So it is possible to ascertain, hey, stay in on a, on a particular day. But the question is whether the, the EPA, too, could do something more than just warn people that pollution is going to be coming in the air, whether there is a way that knowing that because this is having health consequences, we should take different actions to minimize the risks. Yeah, I think one of the other things, too, that I think is sort of important and an important distinction with regard to attainment numbers when it comes to pollution tallies and the actual things that we're seeing uh, when we're looking to see whether the air of the day is clean are two different things. They are two different things. And... um and, and the EPA is very, you know, when we spoke to them about the exceptional events rule, they said, well, this is just an exception that we make um, for the purposes of regulatory analysis. They, the EPA does, uh, I'm sorry, the local regulators, when they speak to the EPA and, and talk to them about writing exceptional events and forgiving this pollution, um, they do make public these demonstrations, which are completely impenetrable and incredibly hard to read. And so the people who are able to most interact with this exceptional events process are people who in the regulated community, like industry, like chambers of commerce, um, in the Midwest lobbyists like the Midwest Ozone Group, um, who speak this language. But uh, people who are just trying to interpret what this means to them, it's so, so much harder to do. So did you want to say any more about how 
the EPA is responding to critiques of this rule or if there's any movement at all in sort of recognizing its limitations and trying to mitigate that? The EPA very much does not like using the word loophole when it comes to this rule. Um, We have also heard people refer to it as an escape hatch. A regulator in Michigan referred to it as uh, a magic wand, Um, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, You know, regulators are used to using this tool uh, to adjust their work, and they haven't been using it with a lot of public scrutiny, and I, I, I think there's been some grumbling about that. I the EPA's response um, kind of is rooted in, there was an earlier conversation, which we also reported on, uh, between the EPA and the um, Congressional Watchdog, the Government Accountability Office. And they pointed out that the EPA does not have control over the public lands. California has quite a number of public lands um, that are controlled by federal and state authorities. Uh, The EPA does not have authority to say, this is how you must manage these lands. And that's a huge, obvious factor in terms of whether or not the fires are going to burn. Um, but there is room for federal agencies to have a different conversation about what the health risks are to take more action and invest more money in this. And uh, when we heard from experts, including a law professor at Stanford, Michael Wara, he suggested that there could be sort of a Marshall plan towards thinking about how to invest a lot of money in managing our lands to minimize the health risks and minimize the ecological consequences of catastrophic burning. Well, this is Patrick Retz. A Republican from Oklahoma was responsible for this loophole, but Democrats control environmental rules and policy in California and have done next to nothing on reducing wildfire fuel. The air across California is among the worst in the nation. Our state leaders have failed us on clean air. Wildfires are one more example. Uh, certainly, I will say that I heard that same argument from a repu- from a regulator in Louisiana when I was speak- speaking to them about the fact that in Louisiana they had essentially forgiven pollution uh, that they said came from wildfires in the Pacific Northwest, in California, Washington, and Canada. So uh, that's certainly part of the conversation here. Sure. But it sounds like that, you know, across the political spectrum, there are people who like the exceptional events rule, and there are people who are really unhappy with it based on your reporting, also experts and advocates as well. Um, So I guess I'm wondering, uh, is anyone doing something about this? Like, I know that there are suggestions for ways that we can address it, but is there really any kind of active effort to try to address this? Well, I, that's a question. I you, You're reminding me of one of the people we spoke to, um, Maitri Siriguri, who uh, lived in uh, Santa Rosa and then has moved to Naperville, Illinois. Um, she lived here with her husband and kids and um, was one of many people, of course, who evacuated uh, in Santa Rosa for several years before the pandemic. And I think in it, when you asked what people are doing, I think the public is reacting. People in California and in the United States are reacting to this wildfire by trying to understand the risks um, for smoke to themselves and, if possible, taking an action related to it. So um, Maitri, of course, um, had a lot of negative experiences and moved out of state to Illinois, where, interestingly, this year she also experienced wildfire smoke from Canada. Yeah. And let's hear a little bit from Maitri, who is essentially, I think, encapsulating what a lot of us do feel um, with regard to 
unhealthy air caused by wildfire smoke around us. This is her describing what it was like to be in Santa Rosa before she moved to Illinois. For long stretches, you know, having to deal with just being indoors, but the indoors was not, you know, we had our air purifiers, but it doesn't do much beyond a point. So you really started to feel like we're just sitting in here. We're sitting in the smoke and, and the bad air and just going through it day after day, pretending like it's it's all going to be okay. We're talking about wild sm- wildfire smoke and its relationship with a loophole in the Clean Air Act. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. So if we as individuals are having to react to this, you know, and Californians know this reality really well, the reality that Maitri is describing, what kind of galvanizing force can that be? You mentioned earlier that the rest of the nation is becoming more acquainted with what we in California have been going through for the last, oh, 10 years or so um, as a result of the Canadian wildfires. Do you see that as being a powerful force that can try to get some way of accounting for wildfire smoke pollution uh, that's better than what we have now? Certainly, when I spoke to Michael Benjamin from CARB, he mentioned that this year might be a wake-up call to the rest of the country. The exhaustion um, that I hear you describe, that Maitri described, that I know people feel. Um, you know, my niece um, was born in into these fires, and, and my sister stayed in the hospital longer in Berkeley because of these mm-hmm. fires. Um, there's not a life in California that hasn't been touched by this. Uh on the East Coast, it's a little bit more hit or miss the understanding of this, even if people understand the consequences of air pollution. Understanding that wildfire is a part of this, that it's a growing risk and that it's climate driven is really a new conversation. And so it feels like we're living a little bit in the future here in California and in other parts of the country, maybe in a different time zone, for lack of a better way to put it. And so if these fires put everybody in the same understanding of what the risk is, when you experience something yourself, there's nothing more significant than how you internalize that experience and um, intellectualize it and emotionally react to it. That moment, when it happens for more people, is going to be that galvanizing force. Hmm. Am I right that there is some activity Uh, by the federal government related to ground level pollution, ground level ozone and fine particulates and things like that. In fact, uh, KQED's Danielle Venton reported earlier this year on the fact that that there is a regulatory proceeding related to um, fine particulate matter, which includes um, particulates that come from wildfire smoke. Uh, we're awaiting that from the EPA. They're overdue. That was supposed to come out in the summertime. And the EPA was going to lower or tighten that standard. And People were scared about that because there are lots of places that already have a challenge in meeting that particulate standard. For ozone, federally, the government announced they were going to delay tightening the ozone standard until after the the 2024 election, which uh, was a bit of a disappointment to clean air activists. Hmm. Well, the listener writes, fire suppression is an important tool, but 85% of wildfires are started by human activity. We need home hardening and immediate suppression of fires when they start. The listener writes, I think our air district for the Bay Area regularly gives out erroneous information about all smoke, including smoke from wood stoves and fireplaces. Bay Area Air Quality Management District has not accurately publicized the health and climate effects of residential and wildfire smoke. Why isn't the air district banning all burning of wood for any purpose? Again, 
a lot of, you know, the kinds of ways that listeners have to think about this with what they feel like is maybe limited communication and limited information, or maybe even erroneous information as this listener worries about. We um, certainly heard a lot of this there. frustration. And I just will say very briefly that thinking about wildfire, wildfires are often human caused in the sparking of a, um, you know, a truck chain along the side of the road or some other human cause around a wildland urban interface. Are wildfires uh, fully natural. The EPA argued that they were as recently as 2018 in court related to this rule. But we see in California very much that they're not. So Molly, what are you hoping your reporting will do this, you know, basically exposing the use of this particular provision of the Clean Air Act and how it doesn't really feel like it's set up to address what we're all facing, which is a future of of more wildfires? I just keep thinking of all the Californians I know. Um, You know, my father had lung troubles. Um, You know, I think about the babies being born in hospitals in California. I think about parents making these decisions for their kids. This is something that's a very active, present concern for many months of the year in the Western United States. It is obviously a growing concern in other parts of the country. So I'd like for other people, particularly inside the Beltway, to think about this the way that Westerners think about it and try to come to some adaptation, to some mitigation, to some actual conversation about how we live with the reality we live with. We have these wonderful laws, and I studied laws. I'm a non-practicing lawyer. We have these wonderful laws that have done so much to protect people's health, but the the challenges we're meeting are just really different now. Yeah. Well, let's play one last cut from Michael Benjamin of the California Air Resources Board at least in California, we are doing everything we can to address the root cause of the increase in wildfire through the scoping plan and through our climate change actions, through our actions to make the forests healthier, to have more prescribed fire on the ground, doing things like that. Is he right? Is that fair, Molly? I think California is doing more than a lot of other places, but the actual investment and the actual um, acres burned on the ground in prescribed fire, the land management tools that I know local communities are working so hard to get met, uh, the progress is behind in California for sure. Mm. Molly Peterson, editor at the California Newsroom, co-author of Smokescreen, The Clean Air Act's Dirty Secret, a collaboration of the California Newsroom, Muckrock, and The Guardian about an obscure rule in the Clean Air Act that allows local air regulators to strike so-called exceptional events like wildfires from their pollution data. Thanks so much for talking to us about it, Molly. Thank you, Mina. And thanks, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. Thank you, listeners, for your questions and comments. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.